You are listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more content and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Joining us today for the first time in a while, we are in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Ruth. The Gospel of Ruth is even a fair name to call it because of the the wonderful good news that we we find here. And we've been walking through this, this tiny little book in the Old Testament, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Today we are at chapter four. Last week we had the scene with Ruth and Boaz at the threshing floor where where Ruth proposes marriage to, to Boaz through this, this strange custom of, of lifting up the, uh, the garment over his feet, and he understood this to be some sort of a proposition of, of marriage. And he didn't give his, his full response at that time, but what he, what he said was, look, I would like to marry you. I would very much like to, to redeem you. But the problem is there's this other guy. Anybody ever been in a relationship and heard those words? Right? There's this other guy, the kinsman redeemer, who, as we, we, we learned about, has particular responsibilities. And one of those responsibilities is to buy back land that was lost um, by the family in order to keep that land within the, within the, the family. Um, so there's this other kinsman redeemer, and he is a closer relative than Boaz is. And so he is the one who first gets the opportunity to purchase this land. And this morning, we are going to read in Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Ruth 4, 1 through 12. And this is the meeting between Boaz and his kinsman redeemer, because Boaz is going to give him the opportunity to redeem Ruth and to redeem the land. And then if he says no, the plan was Boaz said, well, I would like to do that myself. So I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's word. Ruth chapter 4, beginning at verse 1 and reading through verse 12. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and should suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. 
So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. One of the main themes in the book of Ruth we've seen come up over and over again, and the word itself appears over and over again in the book of Ruth, is this word, redeem. Redemption, redeem. This is what we're going to do this morning, is we're going to go into a deep dive talking about redemption, because it is here in this particular scene that we see that redemption take place in all of its fullness. Now, I don't know about you, but I was thinking about this word redemption. I thought, man, the last time I've ever redeemed, it's not a word we use in our daily language. Like, the last time I've ever redeemed anything, I think, was when I was at the, the roller rink. And, you know, you get all those little tickets when you win the, the games, like whack-a-mole and all that. And I went and redeemed them, like hundreds of them, for a little troll pencil topper, right? So, which at the time was the coolest thing ever. Um, but we don't use redeem redemption very much in our day and age. So let's put a good working definition when we're talking about redeem. So let's think of these terms. Redeem. It means to buy back or ransom. To buy back or ransom. We see this most clearly in Boaz's redemption of our text for this. Now we need to remember Old Testament. We're not reading them as if this is simply history. It is historical, but it is more than that. You see, when we approach these books of Scripture, we need to be asking the question, not just who is Boaz, who was who Malian, where is Malon, where is the land of Moab, but we need to approach all of Scripture, old and new, with the, with the question of, is what is this teaching me about Jesus? What is this teaching me about Jesus? And what we see here in the person of Boaz, in his redemption of Ruth, we see a picture of Christ, of God's redemption of us. Right? This isn't just about Ruth and, and Boaz. This is about God, about Jesus Christ, his son, coming to redeem his church. So here's where we're going today. God redeems us and the world at great cost to himself from sin, Satan, 
and the law. Those are our three points. God redeems us and the world at great cost to himself from sin, Satan, and the law. So let's walk through each of these here. If you've got your Bibles, you can open to to 1 John. I'm just going to read one verse. It is uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, and it goes like this. It says, He, which is Jesus Christ, the righteous one, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our sins, meaning Christians, meaning the believers in, in the church. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So you see, redemption is not simply something that is for believers, that is for Christians. We may think of it in those terms, and that may be kind of our our default, but the reality is that Scripture tells us very plainly here that God has actually redeemed the entire world. Whenever you run across another human being on earth, that is someone Christ's shed blood has paid the cost to redeem. There's no such a thing as an unredeemed human being, right? Well, so what does that mean? Does that mean there's no difference between Christians and, and non-Christians and all are eventually saved? Well, well, no. What it means, though, is that Christians, believers in Jesus, we know we have been redeemed and we believe that we have been redeemed, whereas others, non-believers, they don't know that. They're unaware of that, which is why our job as Christians, is to proclaim good news, right? We're not trying to redeem them. They have already been redeemed. And so our job is to to let people know about that good news. So you can kind of think of it this way. You can imagine a scene. Imagine you're in a a jail cell for a second. And someone comes in. the, The jailer comes in, and he unlocks the door, and he opens it, and he says, you're free to go. You're free to go. Because someone has, because you posted bond, someone has paid the price to get you out of there. You can go. Now, you don't have to go. The reality is that you are now free. You have been redeemed. The price has been fully paid. You are free. That's your new reality. Now, you can choose to stay in that jail cell and to walk back and forth back and forth, and to kind of pretend like this is, this is freedom. So you can do that. You can, you can wander around in that, in that jail cell and pretend like this is freedom, but you're not living as if you're free. Yet that doesn't change the reality that you are free. See what I'm kind of driving at here is Christians are those who not only have been redeemed, but know and are aware and believe and trust that they have been redeemed. Yet all people are redeemed. And the reality of what what it says here in 1 John is that this is something that has happened. It's a decision that God made on his own. We're not out there offering people the question of, would you like to be redeemed? Like, God doesn't really give us that option. He just does it. Because if he were to consult us, we would say no. We would rebel. Our own rebellious hearts are not drawn towards God the way that his is toward us. And so redemption is for us and for all people. So God redeems us and the world. 
And he does so, and he does so at great cost, at great cost to himself. In our story this morning, I've been learning this in our Bible study on Ruth. It's hard to understand exactly what's going on with some of the legal background, like the whole thing of, of purchasing the land and understanding this, this sandal tradition. Like To get to the bottom of that requires a lot of research. But the thing that's, that's important to note here in this particular text is that when Boaz buys back this field, he buys back this land, he, he purchases Ruth. This isn't just a transaction in the sense that I would like to go and purchase 40 acres from you or something. The way that land worked back then was they couldn't actually sell the land itself because all the land was God's. All they could sell really were the harvest rights to that land. So Ruth, excuse me, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, and, and, and her husband, when they had originally left for Moab, what seems to have happened here, we're not told about it, but what seems to have happened is that they sold the rights, the harvest rights, to their land for someone because to someone. And so now the land was not in their possession anymore. So the harvest rights, <clears throat> excuse me, is what Boaz has to, to purchase. And that means that he has, to, he has to pay what's left on that lease of this other person, this unnamed person who owns it. We don't know how many years it was. It could have been 10 years. It could have been 20. It could have been 50. Every year of Jubilee, the, the property reverted back to its original owners. But the reality is that Boaz has to, has to pay not just for the land itself, but for the lease. And in addition to that, he now acquires Ruth and Naomi because they are tied to this land. So not only does he purchase a lease, but he has additional mouths that he has to feed as well, two, two more mouths to feed. And this is the kicker. You see, what would happen is if Ruth and Boaz had a child, which, spoiler alert, they will, that land would not be Boaz's land. The whole reason he purchased it was to propagate that family's name, and so it would revert back to the son of Boaz and Ruth, essentially back to the son of Naomi and her husband. So he's not even going to benefit fully from this land. We've got to wrap our minds a little bit around the great extent that he is willing to go to to pay this price of redemption because it is enormous. It is enormous. And he's not going to benefit from it all that much is what it seems. So there's a great cost here. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, as we start to think about the cost, not just to, to Boaz, but the cost of Christ to reveal himself and to, to, to save us and to pay our redemption price. Listen to this. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. See, when, when Christ purchases us, it's not just money. The currency is his own blood. This is what happens at, at the cross, is a ransom is paid. The cost for our redemption 
is made. And it is a great one. It is a great one. Freedom, our freedom, our redemption is not free. It's free to us, but it costs God dearly. God redeems us and the world at great cost to himself from sin, Satan, and the law. So for someone to be redeemed, for someone to be ransomed, they are ransomed from something, right? If a kidnapper kidnaps someone and they're holding them for ransom, that means a price has to be paid in order to, to, to free them. So what is it God redeems us from? Well, this is what Scripture clearly teaches, is that we are redeemed from sin and death. Let's bundle those two together. Sin and death. Why would I bundle those together? Well, the, punish, the, the consequences of sin is actually death. The wages of sin is death. Back in Genesis, we lived in a perfect world where there was no death, right? We had access to the tree of life. But when Adam and Eve sinned and they broke the world, now death enters the picture. So you see sin and death, they're, they're pretty good buddies. Like They're kind of inseparable. You cannot get one without the other. But God redeems us from those. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that sin no longer has any power over me? Well, if you read the Apostle Paul, you'll clearly see that that is not the case, that we still struggle mightily with sin. But it means that sin is no longer our master. See, we are no longer servants. We are no longer sold as slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness instead. And, and what about death? Well, as we've seen on the news lately, death is a very real thing. So how is it that we have been redeemed from death? Well, it doesn't mean that death no longer occurs. All of us, unless Jesus comes beforehand, will experience death. We will all die. We all have an expiration date. But what it says in Scripture is that death has no lasting dominion over us. It's an enemy, but it's like a defeated enemy. So it's like you're going onto the battlefield against an enemy that doesn't have a knife, that doesn't have weapons, that is utterly powerless to hurt you. We've been redeemed from sin and death. We've also been redeemed from Satan. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, the Apostle Paul says this, For he, this is God, for he, God the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. You see, that means Satan's back is broken. His teeth are kicked in. It means that the great destroyer, the, the reason that we, we experienced so much temptation and give in to temptation, and the reasons that everything is wrong in our world today, all of that has been defeated. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
right? Satan no longer has rule over us. Well, what about the law? We are redeemed from the law. If you have your Bibles again, you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he's giving a metaphor of how the law is our guardian, our teacher until the time of, of Christ. Galatians 4, 4. But when the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. See, we are redeemed from the law. We are no longer under the law. What does that mean? Can we now live our lives as we please? Can we just ignore a few of the the Ten Commandments and be like, yeah. That that doesn't get to rule over me anymore. That's not what it means. No, the, the law has a very good and ongoing place in the life of a believer. What it means is essentially this. It means that we are free from having our worth dictated by our moral performance. That's what it means to not be under the law anymore. Because Christ has performed, fulfilled the law. Jesus Christ came to be the end of the law even. And he fulfilled that on your behalf and on my Behalf, And that means that this law that used to be the master over us, that used to be able to tell us how we were doing, if we're doing well enough or not well enough, doesn't get to do that anymore. It doesn't get to, to, to lord it over us, how good we are or whether we are good enough. Again, spoiler alert, we are never, <laughs> you're never good enough. All have sinned. But Christ redeems us from the law, and that means our worth, our value as human beings is no longer dictated by the law, by our adherence, our moral performance to it. Another author says it this way. I love this this metaphor. He's talking about how we are, the, the verse in the Apostle Paul where he talks about running the race marked out for us. Us. And he puts it in this way. He says, we are free to run the race marked out for us without watching our feet or counting our steps. Man, this is so good. We're free to now run the race of the Christian life without having to, to continually measure and check on how well we're doing. And on whether we're, we're doing well enough or, or good enough. The law is no longer a measuring Stick. God redeems us and the world 
at great cost to himself from sin, Satan, and the law. Next week, we'll wrap up our series on Ruth by talking about a genealogy of all things. A genealogy that that shows and reveals that the story of, of Ruth and Boaz is not the final chapter, but just one further chapter. And it points ahead toward a greater Redeemer in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.